Welcome back to another episode of The Goal Call, a Stanley Cup playoffs podcast featuring me, Nathaniel Marlowe. And let's jump into tonight's action starting with the New Jersey Devils at the Tampa Bay Lightning tonight. Now everyone, also, or I shouldn't say everyone, but the vast majority of people that I've talked to all season, they said that the Tampa Bay Lightning had the Stanley Cup playoffs in the bag. They said it before the preseason even began. In the middle of the summer, most people I talked to said Tampa Bay are going to be the winners. And they solidified that foundation with the uprising of Andre Vasilevsky. Not only is he having a career year, but the kid was just on fire. At least for the beginning of the year. Now everyone uh, is starting to realize that Tampa Bay might be gassed. They might have put in a little bit too much hard work. And they might not... Uh, they might not make it to the Stanley Cup final. But the odds they have against New Jersey, everyone's saying that they're going to sweep New Jersey. I'm not fully convinced of that. I'm not, in fact, I'm not fully convinced that Tampa Bay is going to make it out of the first round here because they got swept in their season series against the New Jersey Devils. And yes, the Lightning have Steven Samkos, who got injured. He's back from injury, but he did sustain a minor injury in a previous game. Nikita Kucherov, who had a tremendous start, he's been trailing off. And now Andre Vasilevsky, although he had a tremendous start going right up through February, he has also trailed off. And the New Jersey Devils, well, they have Taylor Hall, who just came off like a 20-plus game point streak. It was unbelievable what that kid was going through. And yeah... The Devils lost uh, Corey Schneider, and they've been having some goaltending problems lately, but Keith Keith Kincaid has been a solid backup for them. Now, of course, with on Tampa Bay's side, with Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, and Andre Vasilevsky trailing off, the team itself has some serious advantages on their side. For example, they're number one in goals forced in the league, with 290 goals forced. In terms of goals against, they're 13th with 234 goals allowed. Their power play is third overall, successful on 23.9% of their power plays. And the penalty kill, that's been their biggest weakness. They're 28th overall, successfully killing off only 76.1% of their penalties. And as a team, they have a combined 753 penalty minutes, making them 23rd in the league overall. So not only are they terrible on the penalty kill, they also make some pretty irresponsible plays. And while that can be a sign that they're physical, they're not necessarily the smartest out there on the ice, especially when they know that they have a bad penalty kill. And yes, Vasilevsky has been a solid last line of defense with a career year he has right now, accomplishing a total of eight shutouts. His goals against average has dropped to a 2.62 goals against average, and his save percentage has been a .920, which is great for goaltenders, that save percentage, but he was higher at one point earlier in the year. And Nikita Kucherov does lead, does lead the team in terms of points, goals, and assists with 100 points, 39 goals, and 61 assists respectively, leading his team in all three of those categories, but he has also trailed off for a bit. So will he make the same impact in the playoffs that he did in the regular season? I'm not so sure of that. For Tampa to win the series, I actually think they got to rely on more of their underdogs. People you don't necessarily uh, look to as much like Kucherov and Stamkos. I think they got to look heavily toward guys like Yanni Gord, Victor Hedman, 
Alex Kalorn, and Andre Palat. The biggest question that I have for the Tampa Bay Lightning is how heavily they're going to rely on their newcomers, JT Miller and Ryan McDonough. JT Miller averages just under a point per game with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Out of 19 games played, he has 10 goals, 8 assists for 18 points overall, but he has a minus 3 rating. So just over every other time his line scores, his line is getting scored on as well. The biggest question mark I have for the Tampa Bay Lightning, though, is with Ryan McDonough. So out of 14 games played compared to Miller's 19 with the Lightning, McDonough has two goals, one assist for three points overall, a plus one rating. But due to his uh, performance in the regular season, or lack thereof in the regular season, how heavily is he going to be utilized during this playoff run? How responsible is he going to be with the puck? How is he going to contribute in the defensive zone? And how is he going to pass the puck to his teammates in the offensive zone for great scoring opportunities? Perhaps the biggest advantage that the Tampa Bay Lightning have going against New Jersey, even though they got swept by them, is that New Jersey is just about an average team as you can get. Fifth in the Metro Division, attaining the second wild card in the Eastern Conference with a 44-29-9 record. The Devils are 15th in goals forced with 243, 17th in goals against, allowing 240 goals, 10th on the power play, successful on 21.4% of the power plays, 7th on the penalty kill, surprisingly well for them, successful killing off 81.8% of the penalties, and then 15th overall, for a combined 694 penalty minutes. With Corey Schneider still out, the Devils have to rely on backup goaltender Keith Kincaid, who has played 41 games for the Devils this season. 2.77 goals allowed average with a .913 save percentage, has recorded one shutout, and his record is 26-10. and 10. So keeping all of that in mind, I think Tampa Bay is going to win this first round, but... This matchup between Tampa Bay and New Jersey reminds me of Toronto and Washington last year. I think this could potentially go to at least six games, if not a full seven games. I think Tampa Bay is still going to wind up on top, but New Jersey ain't giving up without a fight. With Tampa Bay being gassed, it more than likely is going to be a battle of the goaltenders. Who's going to be the better one of the two? It's going to be Vasilevsky of Tampa Bay or Keith Kincaid of New Jersey. All right, next up we have the round that after Philadelphia-Pittsburgh, this is the round that I'm the most excited for, Toronto and Boston. Both have been absolutely dominant in the Atlanta. I mean, the Tampa Bay, Boston, and Toronto, they've all been dominant, but I'm excited to see what how this Boston-Toronto round is going to turn out. And a lot of people have their money on Boston. Boston's been struggling lately. So taking a look at Boston stats, they're second in the Atlantic with a 50, 20, and 12 record for 112 points overall just one point shy of Tampa Bay so goals four they're sixth overall with 267 goals forced goals against fourth overall fourth best record with only 211 goals allowed their power play fourth overall again 23.6 successful on the power play Penalty kill, they're third best in the league. 83.7% of their penalty kills they are successful on. And then penalty minutes, they're 25th overall with a total of 778 total penalty minutes. So they play physical, and they play physical in every area you can imagine. They hit the body. They score the goals. They kill off their penalties really well. On paper, this is probably the most dominant 
team we have. And I think for a lot of people, they're the favorite to win the cup. But they've been struggling lately, they, especially in their last five games. Take a look at April 1st. The game Now, most of these games were road games, so natural how they lost those games. But they lost in Philadelphia 4-3. to And yes, they did tie it up with three seconds left in the game. But they still lost in overtime against a team that was struggling. Tampa Bay, they lost 4 nothing. I mean, they're the best team in the Atlantic, so naturally that was going to be a tough game. But they're also a division rival. You can't give up a game like that. They lost to Florida 3-2. And yes, Florida was struggling, but also Florida had a hot streak going. Boston could have easily killed that hot streak, but Florida said, no, we're going to play to the best of our ability here. They won against Ottawa, which if you lose against Ottawa, you're doing something wrong. And they lost to Florida again when they were already, when Florida was already out of playoff contention. That is not how you want to end your regular season, losing four out of your last five games. And yes, maybe they're gassed just like Tampa Bay. Maybe they're trying to rest up. But the way I say you want to try to end as much on a strong note as you possibly can, that way you can take that momentum into the playoffs. And right now, Toronto is more so the team that has that momentum. So their last five games, they won three out of their last five. They won against the New York Islanders 5-4. to four. They lost to Winnipeg 3-1. to one. They won against Buffalo 5-2. to two. Lost to New Jersey 2-1. to one. And then won their final game against Montreal 4-2. to two. So right now, they have, uh, they have some momentum going on. Uh, take a look at their team leaders. So they have Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, William Nylander, Nazim Kadri. He's uh, having an excellent year, for surprisingly. James Van Rienstijk and, and Jay Gardner, all of them are having tremendous years. Uh, Mitch Marner, surprisingly, leads the team with 69 points. I thought it was going to be uh, Austin Matthews, but uh, Austin Matthews, due to injury, had to, had to miss 20 games. So he was only uh, back down to 63. But Austin Matthews, like, you can't deny how dominant the kid is. He averages more than a point per game with 63 points out of six, for 62 games. 34 goals, 29 assists. And Mitch Marner, 69 points, 22 goals, 47 assists. Kid knows how to pass that puck. William Nylander, 20 goals and 41 assists for 61 points. Nazim Kadri has been on fire with 32 goals, 23 assists for a total of 55 points. JBR, another kid who's been on fire out of 81 games, 36 goals and 18 assists for 54 points overall. And take a look at... Uh, Patrick Marlowe, who they acquired from the San Jose Sharks before the start of the season this year. Of 82 games, Marlowe has 27 goals, 20 assists, and 47 points. So even in, uh, in Marlowe's older age, you know, he's still uh, getting the goal scoring in. Perhaps the most surprising factor about Toronto this season has been their goaltending. Now, Frederick Anderson, despite his goals against average, his save percentage is .918, with a goals against average of 2.81, which on paper isn't that great, but this taking a look at some of the saves he made this year, if you take a look closely at some uh, some Toronto's key games, he's stole them a couple games. He's gotten five shutouts, and Curtis McElhenney, their backup goaltender, has gotten three. And so Anderson has earned 38 wins for the Leafs, along with 21 losses and five overtime losses. And Curtis McElhenney achieved 11 wins for the Leafs, Five losses and one overtime loss. Uh, the record speaks for itself. I mean, where the Leafs lack in goaltending-wise, they make up for it with the scoring. And they're not a bad team. Stack up to the Bruins. They can they can take them on head-on. 
They're uh, third in goals overall with 270 goals forced. Goals against, 12th overall with 230 goals allowed. Power play, second in the league. Successful on 25% of their power plays. Penalty kill, 10th overall, killing off 81.4% of their penalties. And then penalty minutes, uh, they're a pretty disciplined team. Fourth overall in terms of uh, discipline, only a total of uh, 570 combined penalty minutes. So where the Leafs can really take advantage of the Bruins team is how physical and irresponsible the Bruins can be, how undisciplined they can be. Let Brad Marchand take a penalty on you. Score on the power play. This is Toronto's strong suit. And yes, Boston does have an excellent power play and an excellent penalty kill as well. But that's probably the one defining factor that Toronto may have the upper edge on, the power play. Boston's tough, and yeah, they do have home ice advantage, but I think Toronto is going to win this series within six games. Okay, next up we have the Washington Capitals against the Columbus Blue Jackets. Washington won the Metro Division again this year with 105 points total, 49 wins, 26 losses, and 7 overtime losses, and Columbus took the first wild card in the Eastern Conference. 45 wins, 30 losses, and 7 overtime losses for 97 points total. Taking a look at the Washington Capitals, so goals forced, uh, ninth overall with 256 goals forced. Goals against, about middle of the road average, 16th overall, 238 goals allowed. Power play, 7th overall, 22.5% success on the power play. Penalty kill, pretty average, 15th overall, killing off 80.3% of their penalties. And then penalty minutes, they are another team that likes to play physical, 800 combined penalty minutes. 26th overall. So they spend a lot of time in the penalty box. Philip Grubauer has been the most surprising factor of this team. Uh, he stole them a few games. You think it was going to be Brayden Holpe. You thought this was going to be a career year for him? No, 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 no. Brayden Holpe has a 2.99 goals against average. That is absurd for a guy like Holpe, who year after year has taken them to the Stanley Cup playoffs. And now it's Philip Grubauer, the backup. 2.35 goals allowed average and a .923 save percentage. He's gotten three shutouts compared to Holpe zero. Naturally, Alex Ovechkin leads his team in scoring with 87 points and 49 goals forced. Evgeny Kuznetsov, one of my favorite players, 56 assists. Also taking a look at John Carlson and Nicholas Backstrom. Also guys who like to pass the puck. 53 assists for Carlson and 50 assists for Nicholas Backstrom. TJ Yoshi, 18 goals and 29 assists for a total of 47 points. Guy who likes to hit. He has 124 hits this season, but he doesn't like to hit compared to a guy like Tom Wilson. 250 hits for the season. Now let's take a look over at Columbus. Now they're a weird team because up until March, they did not have a single 20-goal score. And now heading to the playoffs, they don't have a single 30-goal score. But the key factor that they have is their trade acquisition from the Chicago Blackhawks they made before the season started. The bread man, Artemi Panarin, out of 81 games played, 27 goals, 55 assists, for a total of 82 points. He has been the most su successful Blue Jacket this season, and he could take them uh, to a few rounds. Cam Atkinson, 24 goals and 22 assists for 46 points overall. Pierre-Luc Dubois, 20 goals, 28 assists, 48 points overall. Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, two of the, some of the most dangerous defensemen in the league. 16 goals and 41 assists for Seth Jones. 
and 16 goals and 21 assists for Zach Wierenski. Another key player for the Blue Jackets, Thomas Vanek, acquired from the Vancouver Canucks. Out of 19 games played for the Columbus Blue Jackets, Vanek has 7 goals, 8 assists for 15 points overall. Vanek is a guy coming in in this playoff season. He could be a point-per-game player heading into these, uh, these playoff games. And, of course, you can't forget about Columbus's starting goaltender, probably the most valuable player on the team next to Panarin, Sergei Bobrovsky. 2.42 goals against average this season. Save percentage, .921 for five shutouts. Now, this is another series that's more so difficult to predict, where Washington has the scoring, Columbus has the goaltending. But where New Jersey is average, Columbus is below average. For goals forced, Columbus is 17th overall with 236 goals forced. Goals against, 9th overall, 226 goals allowed. But their power play and penalty kill are beyond subpar. Their power play, they're only 25th overall, 17.2% successful on the power play. That is not good, especially heading into the playoffs. And their penalty kill, 26th overall, only killing off 76.2% of their penalties. However, they make up for that for being one of the most disciplined teams in the league, having the third best record for staying out of the penalty box, only a combined 565 total penalty minutes. So if they stay out of the box, they can find a way to get the puck past Philip Grubauer. More than likely, Washington is going to be starting him. And yeah, Philip Grubauer has been hot, but he's been a backup goaltender for several years. And I'm not so sure he's going to remain strong in the playoffs. We have an example like Matt Murray, who was a backup behind Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury had a few rough nights, so they put Murray in, and he won two Stanley Cups in a row. But the thing with Matt Murray is that he had Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Phil Kessel on his team. As a goaltender, that gives you a lot of confidence. And I believe much of the battle that goaltenders have to uh, have to face is their confidence level. But when you're surrounded by guys who have tremendous offensive push, and even if you have uh, a lack of defensive players, as long as you have that offense, that can give you tremendous confidence as a goaltender. But outside of Ovechkin, the Capitals are going to struggle with getting the puck past Bob. So that's why I give the advantage to the Columbus Blue Jackets, because they have an experienced playoff goaltender. And the Capitals, essentially, they have a rookie playoff goaltender. Next up, we have probably the most predictable matchup. We have the Nashville Predators against the Colorado Avalanche. And Colorado, let's face it, the only reason why they're in the playoffs this year is because St. Louis blew it. They had that. They had their playoff season in the bag. Then James Schwartz got injured, and it was just all downhill from there. And, of course, it took the very last game of the season to determine who was going to make the playoffs. It was either going to be the Blues or the Avalanche. And the Avalanche, they wanted it more. They, Of course, they had home ice advantage, but that only gets you so far. A lot of it has to do with the drive, how smart you play. Colorado played a much better game. But that was against a struggling St. Louis Blues team. And now they're up against a dominant Nashville Predators team who just came off a Stanley Cup final run last year. Colorado is not a bad team on paper. So they're 10th in goals force with 255 goals force, 14th overall in goals against, allowing 236 goals, 8th on the power play, successful on 22% of their power plays, penalty kill, 4th overall, successful killing off 83.3% of their penalties, and they're 20th overall for penalty minutes, 
uh, combined 731 total minutes in the box. So they don't sound bad on paper at all, but compared to the Nashville Predators, I mean, Nashville is just so dominant. Uh, first in the Central Division, 53 wins, 18 losses in regulation, and 11 overtime losses. Seventh overall in goals forced for 261. Goals against, second, allowing only 204 goals this season. Power play, their 12th overall, successful on 21.2% of their power plays. Penalty kill, another successful penalty kill team. Sixth overall, killing off 81.9% of their penalties. And then penalty minutes, they're the most physical team in the league. They have the most amount of penalty minutes by, by far. Over 900, total of 928 minutes spent in the box. I think if Colorado were up against any other team, they would have a shot to make it past, you know, a few rounds, potentially uh, making it to the third round or at least, you know, winning the first round. But I, I don't see them getting out of this first round here unless they keep Nashville in the penalty box because that's where Colorado does their damage on the power play. And yeah, Nashville has a successful penalty kill, but they're not really good at staying out of that box. So if Colorado keeps them in the penalty box, they have they have a fighting chance. They at least have a shot to win a few games. I don't see them making it past the first round. Nashville, I see them uh, making it to the cup final again. But then again, Nashville was the bottom seed in their uh, in their conference last year, and they ended up making it to the conference final. So who knows? Maybe Colorado's going to pull a. They're going to pull one of those. But this is going to be one of the few series where home ice advantage has a huge impact because Nashville is loud. Nashville is electric. They have a huge advantage compared to Colorado when it comes to that home ice. They know how to get the crowd going. They know how to get the crowd in it. They know how to play on their home ice. This is something that Nashville Predator fans have been waiting around years for. And they've been waiting so patiently just giving the team all of their energy. And the Predators, at least the, the Predators of the past few years, they've been using that energy to make it as far as they have. And this year, they have a serious chance to actually win the Stanley Cup. And if it wasn't for the Pittsburgh Penguins on their quest for a three-peat, the Nashville Predators would be my favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Before we move on to our final matchup, let's take a look at some key leaders for the Nashville Predators and the Colorado Avalanche. In goal for the Nashville Predators, Pecorine, one of the best goaltenders in the league. A 2.31 goals allowed average. Save percentage, 0.927. Shutouts, 8. And his backup goaltender, Soros, 3 shutouts. Team leader in points, Philip Forsberg with 62 points. Sorry, 64 points. 26 goals and 38 assists. Victor Arvidsson leads his team in goals for 29 goals. P.K. Subban, 43 assists. He leads his team in assists. Roman Yossi, the captain, second behind him with 39 assists. And Ryan Johansson, another 39 assists. Kevin Fiala, another key player for the Predators this year. Out of 80 games, he has 23 goals and 25 assists for 48 points overall. A key acquisition that the Predators acquired from the Pittsburgh Penguins, Nick Bonino. 12 goals and 13 assists for 25 points overall. A decent bottom six guy. I thought that was a huge mistake for Pittsburgh, getting rid of Nick Bonino. But in my mind, it was uh, like, what were you thinking? Getting rid of him. That was much of the reason why they were struggling going in. They didn't have enough depth on the bottom six that Nick Benito gave them. Another key acquisition that the Predators obtained from the Ottawa Senators, Kyle Turris. Out of 65 games played with the Predators this season, Turris has 13 goals and 29 assists. 
Roman Yossi, Matthias Edcombe, and Alexi Emelin lead their team in block shots. The captain, Roman Yossi, leads his team with 120 block shots, followed by Edcombe with 117, and then Emelin with 109. The key men on Nashville's power play, Philip Forsberg, Craig Smith, Roman Yossi, and P.K. Subban. Philip Forsberg and Craig Smith are the top goal scorers in the power play, with Roman Yossi and P.K. Subban as the top puck passers and assist getters on the power play. Here's a name you don't hear much of uh, in the National Hockey League. Austin Watson leads the Nashville Predators in hits with 187, followed by Alexi Emelin with 181, and then Colton Sissons with 136, and Mika Salamaki with 114, and P.K. Subban with 111. So these are guys that like to play physical. They like to hit you. Taking a look now at Colorado's key players. In goal, starting goaltender Samuel Varlamov. 2.68 goals allowed average with a .920 save percentage. And Jonathan Bernier, the backup, 2.85 goals against average with a .913 save percentage. Both of them have earned two shutouts in the regular season. Colorado's superstar player, Nathan McKinnon, leads his team in points, goals, and assists. 97 points overall, 39 goals, 58 assists. Miko Rantanen, 84 points, and Gabriel Landeskog with 62 points. Rantanen has 29 goals, and Landeskog has 25 goals. Kind of a dark horse player, Tyson Berry, 43 assists. He was a key player in the final game Colorado had against the St. Louis Blues, allowing them to secure the final wild card spot in the Western Conference. But Colorado lacks a lot of depth. Outside of McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog, and Tyson Berry, there's not a whole lot of uh, point getting. Outside of those players, the only ones who have 30-plus points overall are Alexander Kerfoot, Carl Soderberg, and Blake Como. So from what we've seen this season from Colorado, depth scoring has been their biggest problem all season, and that's why I think they're not going to make it past the first round, especially against a dominant Nashville Predators team. And now we have come to our final matchup tonight, and that is between the Anaheim Ducks and the San Jose Sharks. Anaheim is second in the Pacific Division with 44 wins, 25 losses in regulation and 13 overtime losses. San Jose Sharks are third in the Pacific Division with 45 wins, 27 regulation losses, and 10 overtime losses. At first, I thought uh, that Anaheim had the better chance of making it past the first round. Now I'm thinking it's more so the San Jose Sharks because the San Jose Sharks have depth. So Brent Burns has been the top point getter this season, which is probably the most surprising factor because, yeah, Brent Burns is great, but he didn't get his first goal until December. But he's leading the team in points with 67 points total and also in assists with 55 assists total. So he's gotten 12 goals out of the year. His offensive production has picked up slowly but surely throughout the year. Their only 30-plus uh, goal scorer has been Logan Couture, but they still have a lot of offensive depth. And Joe Pavelski and Thomas Hurdle, each with 22 goals. Timo Meyer with 21 goals. Chris Tierney, 17. Bodaker with 15 goals. Donskoy, 14. Joe Thornton, who's been out most of the season, uh, with 13 goals, 23 assists, and 36 points. So even without him, San Jose Sharks, the, the, the depth that they have on that team has still been quite strong. And that's where they take advantage over the Anaheim Ducks, who, other than Ricard Raquel, they don't have a lot of offensive production. They don't have a lot of depth. Ryan Getzlaff has 50 assists and Corey Perry with 32 assists, but they're not really getting a lot of goal scoring. So goals for 
the Anaheim Ducks are 18th overall compared to the San Jose Sharks, who are 13th. Anaheim has only 231 goals for us as opposed to San Jose with 247. The goals against, that's where they make up for their offensive production, their strong defense and goaltending. They're third in goals allowed overall with only 209 goals allowed, but their power play is rather weak, only 23rd out of 31. Only successful on 17.8% of their power play, but they make up for that again with their great penalty kill. 83.2% on the penalty kill, but also they play a little bit too rough. They rely on that physical play, but sometimes it costs them. 27th overall in uh, staying out of that penalty box. Combined total of 818 penalty minutes between all players. And yes, most of those minutes, most of those minutes have come from Kevin Bieska on the fight column. 83 penalty minutes overall leading the team. But also they got to look at Nick Ritchie, Corey Perry, and John Manson. Ritchie was 72 penalty minutes. Corey Perry was 71. And Josh Manson was 62. And Ryan Kessler and Ryan Getzlaff, 46 and 42 uh, penalty minutes respectively. They got to they gotta keep themselves out of the box. Because Perry, Kessler, and Getzlaff, those are some of their key offensive guys. Maybe not so much Kessler, but Kessler does... Uh, Good things in the offensive zone to pressure the team so that way the other players around him can pass the puck and end up in the back of the net. Anaheim also has to worry about Cam Fowler being on an in, a day-to-day injury. And their starting goaltender, John Gibson, also out with an injury. John Gibson has a 2.43 goals against average, a .926 save percentage, and four shutouts. And yes, Ryan Miller also has four shutouts, but he's the backup. Perhaps the best backup goaltender in the league with a 2.35 goals against average and a .928 save percentage. But that's not looking good heading into the playoffs, starting off with your backup and actually physically being down one goaltender. If they keep San Jose to a defensive game with them, not allowing them to get in their own zone, then the Anaheim Ducks can make it past the first round and actually win a few games. Because they're not going to get that from the offensive viewpoint outside of Ricard Raquel. So he's the, the top goal getter with 34 goals. But after him, it's Andre Cassie and Adam Enrique. Each only with 20 goals. Outside of those guys, there's not a single 20 goal score outside of the three of those guys. On paper, San Jose looks a lot better. Because they had that offensive and defensive production as well. Ninth only in goals against with only 226 goals allowed. Their penalty kill second in the league. 84.8%, and they don't they don't stay in the penalty box for too long. Sixth best record in the league with only a combined total of 630 penalty minutes. So, defensively, they're not as good as Anaheim, but where they have the advantage is that they don't let other teams take advantage of the power play. No, it's almost like you might as well not have gone on the power play at all because they kill off 84.8% of their penalties. That gives them a huge advantage over Anaheim, who are only successful on 17.8% of their power plays. And San Jose's goaltender, Martin Jones, yes, he can't be hit or miss, especially around playoff time. But he does have a 2.55 goals against average, which is pretty good, and a .915 save percentage. And he also has great guys around him who are able to score and who are able to help him defend as well. This is another series that might take six or seven games to determine in this first round, but I see San Jose Sharks being the better of two teams and making it to round two. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of The Goal Call. Thank you all for listening, guys. See you again on the next episode.